Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to a Brooklyn Net edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. It's an instant reaction to the net loss to the Dallas Mavericks, which should not surprise you. The Brooklyn Nets suck on back-to-backs. We've seen that for a very long time. And this was uh, frustrating on many levels. It was frustrating on the level that they played really badly for most of this game. D'Angelo Russell got off to a terrible start. Jared Allen picked up 2,090 seconds into the game. And so Ed Davis had to check in immediately and did a hell of a job. He had 11 points and six rebounds. Didn't miss a shot in the first quarter of this game. And it was one of those games where they hung around enough You know, they're down two at the end of one. They did fall behind by as many as 14, and they were very sluggish. They couldn't find a rhythm on offense. But they did enough little things to keep it relatively close. In the fourth quarter, they start to make that run. You know, right out of the gate. And it really started at the end of the third quarter when Spencer Dinwiddie hit that three at the end of three to pull with him four. They go on a great run to start the fourth quarter. Dinwiddie, I think, had the first basket. It was like a a New England Patriot, let's score at the end of the first half, let's score first possession of the third quarter kind of thing. And they actually tied the game up. And you felt like, could, could they actually steal this game? The problem was, and there's so many problems to address, and so many things pissed me off. Number one, Alan Crabb was the only guy, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Alan Crabb was the only guy who offensively was consistent throughout the night. He had clearly his best game of the year. The one knock I have on Crabb is, Alan, enough with these head fakes settling for a long two. If you're going to take that shot from three, pull the freaking trigger. And he did. He had one sequence in which I really started to think again, hey, maybe they're going to steal it. They fell behind by 10 after they had that early run in the fourth quarter. And Alan Crabb hit a three to get him within seven. They forced a turnover, and then he had another three and actually got him within four with about four and a half minutes to go. But as I do a lot when I talk about the Nets, I have to question this coach. Where the hell is D'Angelo Russell? 
You know, one thing about this team since the Karis LeVert injury has been how D'Angelo Russell has stepped up. And D'Angelo Russell over the last five games, last four games, has looked like the star that we envisioned and dreamt about since Sean Marks made that trade with the L.A. Lakers. And despite the tough start he got off to in this game, he actually turned it on a little bit in the third quarter, started to play a lot better, and yet he is nowhere to be found in the final five minutes of this game. I have no idea why. We've seen Kenny do this before with D'Angelo Russell where he buries him. But today, why? He finally puts him back in the game. You know when he puts him back in the game? With a minute and a half to go after they're down by seven, when clearly this game has now slipped away from them, that's when he puts the guy in who was the closer the night before. These rotations that he has sometimes doesn't make any sense. Now, I can give him a compliment. I'll give him one right here. He actually came out of the gate in the second half and put Jared Dudley's derriere on the bench. And Rondé Hollis Jefferson came out. And I, by the way, I don't know if RHJ is a, a stretch for I think he has a tough time defending other power forwards in this league. And his offensive game also is just such hot garbage. Oh, my God. Every time RHJ puts up a jump shot, I just want to stop watching basketball. And he can't hit a free throw to, to, to save his life. With, with all that said, <laughs> as I rip him, with all that said, I did like the idea that Kenny Atkinson took his man, the guy he loves, Jared Dudley, and put him on the bench. Now, this is something I'll bring up if I touch on the Miami game, which was a very good win, the game from the night before. It is remarkable to me how this head coach continues to bury Rodonis Kurich. Since the beginning of this season, because remember, early on, Kurich actually got some minutes because there were injuries. Rondé Hollis Jefferson was banged up. Uh, then remember, Jared Allen missed a couple of games. So there was times this year where Kenny Atkinson, probably by, you know, just he had no choice, gave Radonis Kuritz some minutes, and he always brought energy and offense and length and really nothing negative. And since Jefferson, Hollis Jefferson has come back, instead of getting creative, and there are ways you can get Kuritz minutes without hurting the minutes of his love, Jared Dudley and RHJ, he hasn't done it. The Miami game annoyed me more than tonight. And by tonight, I mean I'm doing this minutes after the Nets lost to the Dallas Mavericks. You could be listening to this whenever. I have no idea. Tonight, the game against Dallas didn't bother me as much. But the game against Miami, which I'll get to in a little bit, they were so bad for such a long period of time. They needed some fire. They needed some energy. And I don't know if it's that Kenny Atkinson is so stuck on only going 10 deep that maybe that's the thing that keeps him from getting Kuritz minutes that he doesn't want to go more than 10 deep. But this is a young guy who has showed promise every time he's been on the court, and it just makes no sense how he's buried him. Now, a couple of things from this game. Uh, Luka Doncic, who I've seen play at times so far this year, but never for a full 48 minutes like today, the kid's impressive. If you can look past the fact that he wears a T-shirt underneath his jersey, which, look, if I was playing basketball, I'd wear a T-shirt. That's because I'm built like me. But if you're an NBA player, Luca, uh, the, you know, uh, go to the gym then. All right? Go to the gym. 
But how about the play? And I thought this was a big play early. It was in the second quarter of this game. It looked like Luka was going to get a four-point play because the official actually called a foul on Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Now, they actually looked at the replay, and at first, when they went to the replay, I'm thinking, what the hell are they going to replay for? They can't review a foul call. They can't review a BS foul call. But what they were looking at was to see if Luka had put up the shot before the foul was committed actually on DeAndre Jordan because initially DeAndre Jordan's ass interfered with Luka Doncic. I mean, that's I think that's a fair description. For anybody that saw that play, and I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you saw every bit of this game, but if you saw the play, that's what it was. DeAndre Jordan's derriere pushed into Luka Doncic on the three-point shot, and they call a foul. And that was just one of those moments in this game, and there were a lot of these where every time the Nets would get it to about eight or seven or in that range, they'd hit a big three. And the guys that were killing them in this game were the guys that just, they drive you nuts. I mean, first of all, I don't need to see Devin Harris hitting a couple of threes in this game. He did miss a couple of free throws. That did make me feel better. But Devin Harris getting 18 off the bench in 18 minutes. J.J. Barea, who just kills the Nets. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but trust me, he kills the Nets. He gets 18 off the bench. How many big shots did Barea hit in this game? And how many times... When could the Nets learn? The high ball screens with J.J. Barea killed them over and over and over again. They couldn't get a body close to him. And then Harrison Barnes. And what Harrison Barnes, I think, did, if you want to take this game and you want to find that moment, that one play, and it's very difficult to do that in an NBA game. You can do that a lot easier in a football game and in a baseball game. Alan Crabb hits those back-to-back threes. Okay, pulls him within four. Joe Harris forces a turnover against Finney Smith. Okay. Alan Crabb, I thought this was one of more Crabb's more impressive plays besides the threes. He actually dished it over to Jared Allen after RHJ tripped for the 18th time in this game. What the hell's wrong with him? I mean, my God, does he need new sneakers? How many times did Rondé Hollis-Jefferson slip and fall? Like he's playing ice hockey. But anyhow, Crabb dished to Allen after RHJ trip, and they pulled within two with four minutes to go. And Dallas called a timeout. So set this up. The Nets have come all the way back. They're one possession game, two-point game, four minutes to go. Allen Crabb's on fire. We can't find D'Angelo Russell. And Harrison Barnes hits a three. And I got to be honest with you, I didn't even see the play develop because it was right out of the timeout. So I'm looking down. I don't even know what I'm looking at. I think I'm looking at the baby monitor. I think that's what I was staring at. I'm staring at it right now, actually, just to – you know, make sure Jet doesn't get up because my wife's been long asleep, that's for sure. So I didn't even see how the play developed. I look up, I see Harrison Barnes drilling a three, pulls with him, pulls them, pulls the deficit to five, and then Dinwiddie gets fouled, and of course he misses a free throw. That's the other thing. This team has missed a lot of big free throws. A lot of them. There was a BS loose ball foul on RHJ after Dinwiddie forced a terrible three, and that was when the game started to get out of reach because Donkic hits a couple of free throws. It gets to eight. And the the other thing from down the stretch, and I think there were two examples of this in the fourth quarter of this game, too. And and I have to apologize, because if you go back, and I guess you can go back into the podcast archive and go right back to opening night, if that's what you want to do. Go back to opening night, because I said something stupid, and I want to correct myself now, because it killed me in this game. If you listen to the first podcast uh, of the season, eh, really the first game of the season, I've done other podcasts. 
The Nets lose this game to the Pistons, and one of the positives I had is, you know, wow, Jared Allen is adding the corner three to his game, right? I said, hey, Clint Capella, don't compare Jared Allen to Clint Capella. Jared Allen could hit the corner three, and that's because in that game on opening night, Jared Allen went two for three from three, with both of those being the corner three. Okay, fine. That's why I said it. So it was with some kind of fact that, wow, okay, you two threes on opening night, both from the corner, Jared's going to add this to his game. Jared Allen has not hit a three-point shot since then, okay? Which, fine. I got a little excited on opening night thinking that that was really going to be in his repertoire. Is that the big mistake? No, here's the big mistake. Jared Allen has barely attempted the corner three since then, which, okay, that's fine. It's not the end of the world. He's made great progress. He's had a lot of double-doubles. He's been a very good rim protector. We've seen his growth. All these positive things about Allen. The problem I have is twice in the fourth quarter of this game, in big spots, we saw Jared Allen hoisting a corner three. I don't want to see it. How can I see it? when he's taken like five threes the entire season and hasn't made one since opening night. I'll give you the exact situation. After Dinwiddie had a jump shot to get him within six, Harrison Barnes actually missed a shot. Oh, my God, save that. So the Nets have the ball down six, two minutes to go. All right, still reasonable. Still reasonable to come back and win this basketball game. And Jared Allen was wide open in the corner. I forgot how he got there, but he was wide open in the corner. And even though he's open, as he's taking the shot, I'm not screaming because I wasn't talking to myself, but my brain is saying, is this really the shot you want to take? You're down six with two minutes to go. These are now must-make baskets if you want to win this game. And Jared Allen's putting up a corner three. The guys hit two threes all year. They all occurred on opening night. Opening night was an eternity ago. So maybe that will be a big part of his game. And maybe I deserve that because I was arrogantly saying on that opening night podcast, oh, he's not Clint Capella because Jared Allen's got the corner three. I probably should have waited for more than two shots made by him to think that was a part of his game. But I'm not a fan of that shot at all. And as far as those offensive rebounds after that, because they had a few of them, Finney Smith had one of them, uh, Clevis had the putback that really, I mean, the game was over before this. Those moments, the game is over. The game essentially ended, I'd say, when Harrison Barnes hit that three, like I mentioned, after they had pulled it within two. And then it started to slowly, slowly, like a faucet, slip away. I want to give a positive comment to Joe Harris. Joe Harris has been in a shooting slump now over the last couple of games. His streak that he had, that that amazing streak of hitting threes in consecutive games, actually ended in Miami. Tonight, he only hit one three. He actually missed six. So he was one for seven from three, and his numbers are slowly starting to dip. I think he came into the game still shooting about 45% from three, but that number is starting to dip. His shooting numbers were terrible tonight. But here's what I like about Joe Harris. And this is what Alan Crabb can't do, right? So even on a night where Alan Crabb doesn't miss a shot, he went 10 for 16 from the field, made a seven threes. It was awesome. He had 27 points. He was their best player offensively. But the one thing 
about Alan Crabb, and maybe he can learn this from Joe Harris, is Joe Harris can still do positive things when he's not making a shot. He had a couple of big offensive rebounds in this game. He was still aggressive. He still forced turnovers. He did positive things that, you know, I don't even know if they're in the box score because he has two offensive rebounds that were both big. He forced a couple of turnovers, didn't necessarily get credit for a steal. So the numbers aren't going to jump out at you with Joe. But you watch him, and he dished a couple of times. Joe Harris, for a 3-for-11, 1-for-7 shooting clip, can still help you. It was a, <coughs> excuse me, it was a bad night for Jared Allen. I think the foul trouble screwed him up to begin with. Ed Davis continues to show how incredibly valuable he is. All right, how great was he in the first quarter of this game? That was such a valuable signing. And I, I think the positive from this right now is the fact that on a night in which they did not play well, in which they, they did not shoot the basketball well, they still had a chance to win this game. They're 8-11. and 11. It's not the greatest record in the world. They're still on that precipice of being, you know, maybe an 8th seed or a 7th seed right now. So they're still kind of in that area of uh, being close to a playoff spot. They need to fix the back-to-back issue, though. They don't have a lot of back-to-backs when you look at their schedule. But still, you want to at least be able to win win them occasionally. And they haven't been able to do that. The Miami game was a game that was very, very good to win because of how ugly things were. It's on the road. I thought that was a really good victory for this team. And looking ahead now at what's coming up. Oh, I think my son's waking up. All right, that's it for the podcast. I got to go take care of him. I, I think I I think I mostly addressed everything. I'm sorry. I'm staring at him right now. Can you hear him? Hold on. Let's see if you can hear him complain a little bit. Jet, how you doing? Are you crying a little bit? All right. He's getting up. This has been a instant reaction. Nets can't win a back-to-back edition of the Evan Roberts podcast.